Amen. And it's good to be together, good to be in his house. God has called us in this hour. We must remember that we are called. We are not our own. I've mentioned that some weeks ago now, but we are the temple of the Lord. And God has physically inhabited us. We think of God as spirit, I say sometimes like a ghost. We think of him as like a mist. When we talk about the spirit of God, we think of it like Casper. You can't help it because your mind is in this earth. Uh, but God actually physically indwells you. You just can't understand it in our human intellect, in this dimension. But he is physically within us. One day our eyes will see it and understand it in completion. Well, I spent about five weeks talking about how God did supernatural things in us so that we then could do supernatural things for others. He's comforted us to comfort others is where we springboarded from five, six weeks ago now. And then at the beginning of this week, I was reading in Colossians. If you're reading, who's been reading in Colossians with us? If you read in Colossians, I read in chapter 1, verse 9, uh, the summation, really, of everything that I've been trying to preach all within two verses, First Colossians 1, 9 through 10, actually sums up what's been in my heart uh, now on the sixth week or seventh week, I'm losing track, um, but it says in verse 9, so we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. Now, Paul's praying for the Colossians like he prayed for the Ephesians, and uh, he has multiple prayers. You can find them for the churches, and he says, I haven't stopped praying for you, and he says, we ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will. Everybody say of his will, and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Everybody say spiritual wisdom and understanding. And then it says in verse 10, then, which is what? A conjunction. What does then mean? Then is in response to what we just said, right? So that means pay attention to what we just said, because what I'm about to say is going to connect to what I just said, all right? I'm going to give you $5, so go buy me an ice cream, right? They're connected. You need the $5 to get the ice cream. Does that make sense? So he says, then what? Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord. Who wants to honor and please the Lord? The Bible tells us in verse 9, the only way to, to always uh, please the Lord is that we need a revelation because that's what spiritual wisdom and understanding is. We have lots of earthly wisdom. We have lots of earthly knowledge, right? Today, you have more earthly knowledge, more earthly wisdom than ever before in history. We are literally supercomputers walking around, right? We've got these things in our pockets where I can give you any calculation. It doesn't matter the math. It doesn't matter how advanced. I can tell you about our history. I can even predict where the stars will be a million years from now because I can, all I have to do is look on a stargazing app and I can see where they were and where they've been and I can tell you where they're going to be. 
We are literally filled with knowledge. The Bible says in the last days that knowledge would run to and fro, right? Everybody know that's the old translation. That means knowledge is going to be running everywhere, right? The world wide web. But what happens is there's a there's always a curse with every advancement in the flesh, though, isn't there? Right? Every time they think they made something, right? We made margarine. It's going to replace butter. It's going to be so good for you. Except we're going to find out in about 20 to 40 years that it's very toxic for you. With every advancement comes a curse, right? We're going to have these supercomputers in your pocket, but be careful that they're not on your skin for too much because people are getting cancer in the shape of cell phones in their pockets or where they keep them. So there's always a curse. So in order to have the knowledge that goes everywhere, it came with what? A web. It becomes a web of confusion, right? Who's ever gone to search out a topic and you ask a question on the web and what do you get? About a gazillion answers and they're all different. And you're like, okay, well, I wanted the answer to this, but now I don't know who to believe. Because this one seemed really logical, and this one seemed really logical, and this one seems really logical. And right, don't Google if you're sick, because you're going to find your answer before you know it, you're dying. But you don't know why you're dying, because this guy's telling you it's this disease, and this one's telling you it's that disease, and so on. So the Bible says, though, that there's a safeguard. Everybody say there's a safeguard. I was thinking of this word even uh, in last sermon, which was don't let our lamps go out. I was thinking even then, meditating on it, now it's coming into this sermon, how do we safeguard our faith? How do we safeguard ourselves in this time? Because there's so much bombard bombardment, bombardment, from every direction of just stuff and intellect and junk, right? We are literally bombarded. I mean, the billboards, the, the, your, your ads on your phone, your TV, uh, even the people around you are bombarding you with, with their ideas and their junk. But the Bible says, and this is why Paul prayed for them, he said, I haven't stopped praying for you that God would give you complete knowledge of his will. Because, see, once we have his will, we don't need to worry about anything else. And his will, the reason we need to know his will is because we have our will. I bring it up all the time, but Jesus even went into the garden and dealt with his own will. Even though he is God, he was the Son of God. And somehow, they're one, but they're also three persons, right? And he said to the, to the Father, not my will be done, your will be done. In other words, uh, not what the internet says, not what you know my friends have decided and perceived and, and kind of sorted through this culture and have told me this is what I think you should do and this is how you should raise your kids and this is what you should let them explore themselves. And, you know, it used to be sow your wild oats. I don't know what they're sowing today. I mean, it's just getting wacky. We're letting our kids decide at six years old 
You know, Explore Your Wild Oats used to be like 18 years old, maybe 21 years old. The kid goes out and goes wild. Now it's let your six-year-old make decisions. Insanity, isn't it? And the Bible says, though, that if we will get a revelation, and that's the spiritual wisdom, verse 9, and the spiritual understanding, the Bible says that with the revelation that comes from his will, the knowledge of his will and spiritual wisdom and understanding, then, verse 10, you will live always, always pleasing and honoring the Lord. And it says some extra things here that I think is the whole summation of what I've been trying to speak on, which is, and your lives will, everybody say they will, your life will not need to try. Say, I don't need to try. If you get the Lord's will, you don't need to try to please God. We don't need to try to be good Christians and try to produce fruit. The apple tree is an apple tree or it's not. And if it does not produce fruit, what does it say in, Matthew 15, in John chapter 15? Right? He says, it's good for nothing if it doesn't produce fruit. It's useless. It's worthless. He chops it down and throws it into the fire. So it either is or it isn't. But the Bible tells us, don't worry. I'm not talking to you in John 15 because I'm talking to my church here in this room. And my church, they have my will. And they're letting the Holy Spirit say, I'm letting the Holy Spirit Change the way you think, right, through that's the spiritual wisdom and understanding. That means that even though the world says this is what's right, this is how you raise your children, let them make the decisions now. The world says let the child decide. My Bible says raise up your children in the way of the Lord so that when they grow old, they will not depart from it. So, 4,000 years ago, God spoke our uh, <laughs> children's, children raising motto. And we think 4,000 years later, we're smarter than God. And we say, well, my six-year-old is old enough to make their own decision. It sounds insane, doesn't it? And yet you're the insane one. You're insane in this room to have a problem with that. Isn't that, isn't that crazy? And the Bible tells us what you have, the reason you understand it, and that you see that it's crazy so clearly, and that they, I don't think people are even wondering, well, maybe they're right. I think they genuinely look at you like you're crazy in this room as believers. I don't think it's like they're even considering... I think they really don't understand because the Bible says that there's a strong delusion. The devil has brought a strong delusion upon the earth and upon people, and it is only by the Holy Spirit. There is no other way, and you can see that this is true because some people even are professing Christ but they are annexing the Holy Spirit. They say, I want the cross, I want salvation, 
But I don't want the Holy Spirit to have my life or to do anything in me or change anything. And what's happening is, is you can see that even the church, if you want to call it that, I don't think it should be called the church because it's not God's church, but they are welcoming in all these ideas of the world. Right? They're raising up the same flags as the rest of the world. They're welcoming and even commending worldly concepts because they have rejected God's will, they have rejected spiritual wisdom and understanding. And what does the Bible say? It gives us a then. Then you will displease the Lord and not bring honor to him. That's what happens. But we are people who are after the Lord's will. We want the Lord's will. We are not going to let the enemy's will or the world's will influence us because the Bible says not only is it pleasing and honoring to the Lord, but this is what we talked on for five to six weeks, is that also what happens is your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. What happens if I reject the Lord's will and I decide it's my will? I'm going to make up the decision. This is what I think. I see what the Bible says but the Bible's wrong. So I'm going to make my own decision. Holy Spirit, I can feel you nudging me that you don't want me to think this way, talk this way, act this way any longer, but I'm going to reject you and I'm going to do it in my spirit. What Jesus calls it out is the spirit of the devil, right? They said, oh, we're God's children. They said, he says, no, you're not. You're <laughs> children of the devil. And what is he saying? He's not calling us the devil in this room. I mean, even Peter, we're talking Peter, we're talking Jesus' main man here. When Peter got into his intellect, what did Jesus say? Satan, get behind me. When you get into your will and your intellect and we know better than God, what happens? We literally become like Satan. That's what he did. We don't know everything about Satan, but somehow Satan was in glory with God and lost it. He, the, Jesus said he struck down like lightning. We don't understand it all, but somewhere along the line, in pride, he said, I know better than you, or your, your opinions and my opinions are equal. And the Bible says that if we will safeguard ourselves with his will, with his wisdom, with understanding, then we will please him and we will produce good fruit. What happens if we don't do these things? We produce bad fruit. And fruit is what? Fruit is meant to be eaten by another. So they're eating your fruit and they're saying, oh, this is what it is to be a believer. This is cool. I want to be a believer. I want to be a believer just like you. This is, this is really neat. I love how we have all these groups and programs and we get together and we gather and we have fun we don't talk a lot about the lord because that's just inconvenient but i do really enjoy our times together and the bible says all the while you will grow everybody say we grow as you learn to know god better and better now the nlt translated these two verses so 
we're already um, we know that it's it wasn't written in English. It was written in Greek here. So give me a little bit of license. I want to just kind of rearrange nine and ten. Give me some room. I'm not trying to practice heresy, but let me just bring these verses to some clarity here. What he's saying is, is when God gives us complete knowledge of his will, when we get a hold of the Lord's will, when we let the Holy Spirit give us wisdom and understanding. Remember Solomon, he went on and on and on about, if you can get anything, get wisdom, get understanding. If there's any value, if they have more value, he said, than precious gems and gold and silver, etc., right? If you can get something in this earth, what I really want you to strive for is something beyond the earth, which is spiritual wisdom and understanding. So when God gives us his will and we let the Holy Spirit rearrange us, give us wisdom and understanding versus knowledge, versus the earth, earth's knowledge, something happens, all right? And this is what it says. We learn to know God better. Who wants to know God better? Right? We need his will to even know him. How can you know him if you don't know his will? It would be like Dawn and I. Dawn says, you know, this is the way I want to be loved. And if I don't even take the time to find that out, she thinks, man, you really hate me because I think I'm loving her, but I'm loving her in the way that I want to love her, not in the way that she says she needs me to love her. So we see that we really need to understand his will. We say, oh, I love God. He says, oh, you do love me, but you don't obey me. So you don't love me. We go, no, I really do love you. You'll hear people, I mean, they will say it out of their mouth. I really do love God. I live like the devil, but I love God. Well, what does the word say? The word says, if, come on, let's quote it together. If you, come on, everybody knows the verse. You know where I'm going. Love me you will obey me. Right, I knew everybody knew it. So if we go by the word and not by intellect, it's different than what it sounds like when we, so when I say, well, just love God, it'll all figure it out, it'll all work itself out. You just love him and don't worry. Everything will figure itself out. Does that work, Dan? No. Because you think you're loving, but you're not loving. Because he told us the definition of it. So what you're actually doing is saying something that sounds good. Wow, that sounds like what the Lord dealt with everywhere he went. They said a lot of things that sounded good, right? The, the religious of the day. They looked the part, and yet Jesus calls them a den of vipers, sons of the devil. Wow. Imagine we looked and perceive this world through the eyes of Christ and through his word. What a difference. So what happens? I learn to know him better. I have to get his will. I have to have wisdom and understanding first, but I get to know him better, and I want to know him better. Who wants to know him more? Who wants to know God in a greater way? I do, and I know we do in this room. And something else happens, and this is automatic automatically, when you know God, you will grow. Period. If I have let his will work in me and I know him, I'm going to grow. There's no trying. There's no striving. I don't need to work at that. All I need to do is work at knowing him, and the word will do its job inside me. Who can testify of that? 
Who can testify that when you sought the word, even though it was so different than anything you ever understood before, it was different than what the culture, what your college was might have been saying at the same time, right? Your college is saying this is the right way. I remember uh, my aunt said to my mom, back, you know, talking about Dawn and I getting married here again, that she's like, are you sure they should get married? Maybe they should live together for some time to see if they're compatible. Then they'll get married when it works out. I think you probably heard it from the other side, too. That's the world's way, isn't it? That's not God's way. That sounds like intellect, sounds like good wisdom. You know what that does? That sets yourself up for separation. Because you're already getting together saying, well, if it doesn't work out, we won't have a bond that then we'd have to break. So you see that the Lord's way is different than man's way, but man's way can sound good. It can sound logical, but it's not God's way. And so we do it God's way, and what happens? That's when we have a, a relationship that is, is real, and a fruit begins to get produced. And what happens? It says, you will always honor and please the Lord. Something supernatural begins to happen. Something very supernatural begins to happen. Something within our spirit that is greater. And the Lord is doing this in us even at this moment. As we are searching through his word and searching to seeking him out and searching to know him, God is doing something in us. God is changing us. God is taking even your situations. And see, this is the thing. When we come to the Lord, and I love this about the Lord, it doesn't matter where you were yesterday. It doesn't matter even how you came in to this room today. If you just say, today, this is what's incredible about God. Today, I want to be aligned with your will. Holy Spirit, I, I'm rejecting my knowledge. Even the knowledge I came in with, it was skewed. It was kind of messed up with the world. Maybe I watched the news on the way in. I want to reject it all. And Lord, today, I want to get into your will, and I want to know you. You know what happens? Lord does a little pruning. And those, you know, cut dead ends, who has seen them, right? Jimmy just did that to a tree. We didn't know it was going to come back. But all of a sudden, they start to bud. And the Lord's like, I can work with any situation. I can work with anyone, any situation. You decide to do it my way. You decide to, to choose my will and let me work in you. And I guarantee you, the Lord's got like an infomercial going on. I'll produce fruit in you. Anyone, anywhere, anytime, you fully and wholly give yourself to me and I can get fruit out of your life. Amen. Isn't that amazing? Because, see, the Bible says it's impossible to please God without faith, right, in Hebrews. And the thing is about faith is that really all it is is saying, God, I, at, at, its, at its basic core, is it saying, God, I trust in you. I trust that you are the only way, you're the only one. I have tried everything else, right? The woman, Jesus said she applied faith, 
And what does the Bible say? The woman who grabbed the hem of his garment, who had the issue of blood, she had tried everything else. Everybody say everything else failed, right? My way failed. The world's way failed. All, it all failed, but then she applied faith. And all it was is if you, and I just prayed this during uh, prayer today, if you don't do it, God, there is no hope. It's not a little bit of God, a little bit of intellect, right? We try to bring God, we try to create a mixture, and we'll just take God, and we'll take, you know, this idea, and we'll put them together, and it's like a godly-ish thing. But God, if you don't do it, there is no other hope, there is no other way, and really, that's what faith is. And the Bible says it's impossible to please God without that. We've come to the place in God as believers, right, where we have emptied every single thing before him on the altar, everything about us, everything about our will. That's why Christ showed us the completion, and we are in Christ. We are in his image. What was the completion? The completion was when he came into the garden. I know I'm like a broken record, but when he came into the garden of Gethsemane and he said, Lord, your will be done, he, he had had been working it out in himself. There's got to be another way. And when he came into the garden and he said, no, but your will be done, it was finished. It was done. And he showed us that completion, showed us the path. And then Jesus said to us, I want you to pick up your crosses and follow me daily. So if we look at what that means, I'm going to look at the whole picture, not just, you know, a Roman nailing me to a piece of wood, but I'm going to look at the whole picture of what Jesus was saying. And he's saying, it's got to be my way, but if you let it do my way, you're going to be pleasing me, and there's going to be fruit coming out, and there's going to be a greater relationship that comes from it. And who wants that? Who wants to please God, right? Who wants to be in God's, in God's presence? You know, the Bible says that... Uh, Something supernatural happens when we spend time with Christ, and there's so many examples, but I was thinking about this verse here. Let's turn to the uh, book of Acts, chapter 4. Something supernatural, as I has already been saying, begins to happen just by being with Christ, because Jesus was led by the Spirit himself, and Jesus, and I just prayed this as well during prayer, he only did and only said what he was directed to do. And we are following him, which means I'm going to follow in the same way. I'm going to follow the pattern that I only do, and I only say what he says. So the Holy Spirit speaks to the disciples, and they say to them, he says to them, don't even worry what you're going to say. When you open your mouth, I will speak through you, right? Who knows it? And this is what happens. In Acts chapter 4, verse 13, it says, The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men. Everybody say ordinary. Right? So just as I prayed also, Elijah was human, just like we are. Right? There is... On the earth and in the natural, you look ordinary, but something is different about you. And what is different? Your will is handed over, the Holy Spirit's leading you, 
and there is a supernatural spiritual growth, there is fruit that you can't even try to make happen. And that's what happened here. They're trying to figure it out. So it said, they looked at them and they're like, they're ordinary with no special training in the scriptures. And it says, they also recognize them as men who had been with Jesus. Now, does that mean they're like, hey, I remember you. You're like one of the 12. I don't even think they knew what the 12 was. All right. We know about the 12 disciples. I highly doubt that back then they're like, oh, yeah, that's the 12. That's Jesus's furious 12. I don't think so. It wasn't like his posse going around with him. That's not what it means. It's not like, oh, yeah, I recognize you. What they saw was they could not deny is that this is a person that has spent time with Jesus. And what happens is when you do that, even, that, even though they're actually having a council telling them that they are going to deal with them and going to beat them if they keep preaching and they don't like it, and even though they don't like it, what they can't deny is it says they saw a boldness from Peter and John. Does that mean that they were loudmouths? Is that what it means to be bold? No. It doesn't have to come with volume. Boldness means that they, there was this level of unafraid. And I was just thinking about this celebrating July 4th and celebrating our nation too. That when we have the famous line, give me liberty or give me death. I just read that speech actually. I wanted to go back and see the context of it because I had heard a radio host talk about it the other day. And I was like, let me read the context. And you know what he's saying? He's saying, it's got to be God. If you read his speech, he says, either God's going to do this or we're going to die. That's really what he's saying. So he sums it up. And, you know, the world can quote the part, give me liberty, give me death, because that doesn't have anything to do with God, right? So that's pretty generic. So they can quote that because that's not religious. But it actually was. The real heart of it was pure religion. It was saying, I'm committed to the Lord, and he directs my steps. And he, and he raises up kings and tears them down, and he leads men, and we're being led, and the Lord's going to lead us or he's not, plain and simple. So let's be bold about this, because if we waver, the Bible says that, that faith that's wavering is not faith, right? You have to make the decision to be on this side or that side, plain and simple. And so what it's saying here, when we saw the boldness of Peter and John, it were, they were men that it was obvious that they were not going to be steered or changed. It didn't matter what this council said to them. They were not going to be moved. They basically said to the council, listen, give us liberty or give us death, plain and simple. And so the Bible says when they saw it, they recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. That there was a men, there, was, there, were, there were men, just as we can be men and women here today, that actually have a physical, because of the spiritual, right? The spiritual is coming inside internally. When you hand over your will, something happens inside that the world can see on the outside. Do you understand? Something internally is happening that you're aware of, and they're not. But then they're aware of the external, and sometimes we're not even. Sometimes, like I've been preaching, you don't even realize you are a light, but you have to realize you are light and salt. If you're spending time with the Lord, and you are in His will, and you are letting the Holy Spirit direct you, 
Man, the devil loves to make you feel like you are nobody and nothing. And that's fine. You know what? That's fine. Because Paul said, when I got to that place, that's when Christ became the most uh, uh, visible and the most evident in my life anyway. So if the enemy's trying to tell you that you're having no effect, not doing anything, you know what? Let him blab, because we know in actuality what's happening is if you are with Christ, they will notice it, and they are noticing it. And just to close, um, I couldn't help, but when I was thinking about this sermon and thinking about these guys standing before them and knowing that these were men in the image of Christ, Peter had wavered and he had wandered and he tried to do it in the flesh, right? He takes the sword out, he strikes the ear, and then he's denying Christ. But then Jesus comes to him after the resurrection. They have breakfast together and it's finished. And he says, go and feed my sheep. And that's it. Now Peter is like, man, he's, we have Acts 40 days later. The Holy Spirit comes and does something inside them and they are committed to the cause of Christ, period. And there is no wavering. And I couldn't help but think that uh, about the, the image, really, that happened here. And it's Moses actually had this similar occasion. Uh, it, the Bible says in Exodus 34, we're not going to go through all of it for time, but just quickly, the Bible says that Moses was called up to the Lord. The Lord says, I want you to chisel some stone tablets out and I'm going to write the law on them. And he says, come on up. I want you to come and spend some time with me. Present yourself to me on the mountain. And the Bible says in Exodus 34, verse 5, that the Lord came down in a cloud and he stood there with him. And then he calls out his name. He says, Yahweh or, you, or Jehovah. It's all this, that's actually the same. Your translation might say one or the other. It's just how we translated into English, and the Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out Yahweh, Jehovah, and the Lord, the God of compassion, of mercy, and I'm slow to anger, and I'm filled with unfailing love and faithfulness, and goes on and tells, talks about his promises, and the Bible says in verse 8 that Moses throws himself to the ground, and he worships God, and something happens, though. When he got into the presence of God, and he brought, he brought basically empty stones. You understand, he brought stones for the Lord to write on. That means I'm an, I'm an open slate, right? Lord, I'm, you can do and say whatever you want. And the Bible says that the Lord showed up. The Lord responds to that heart. The Lord responds to the person. He didn't have to listen because, you know, uh, we could say, oh, well, he had to listen. He's Moses. But the people didn't. And the people have, there's a big we don't have time for that, but there's a big confrontation going on down below, right, with the people. It wasn't forced or mandatory. He did what the Lord said, and there's something that's going to happen when we do that, when we hand over our will, and the Lord shows up, and worship happens, and then immediately the Bible says in verse 9, O Lord, if it's true that I've found favor with you, then please travel with us. Yes, this is a stubborn and rebellious people, but please forgive our iniquity and our sins and claim us as your special possession. You get into the presence of God. You hand over your will. You know what happens? You can't help but get into a place of worship, 
and an intercession begins to come out of you. You start crying out for the people around you. You don't have to try. He didn't go up there with the intention of repenting. I think when he got into the Lord's presence, you know, when the Lord's standing there and he's in the Lord's presence, man, he just drops to his knees and says, man, we are sinners and we need you. You don't have to try to get holy before the Lord. If the Lord's there, believe me, your knees are going to buckle, right? Who can testify of that, right? Amen. And then the Lord responds and he tells him, I'm making a covenant with you. And then the Lord actually goes through what we don't like to talk about, but he goes through the must and the must nots. Everybody say the must and the must nots. And he tells them, you know, some things that he's asking of them, including verse 21. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but on the seventh day you must stop working even during the seasons of plowing and harvest. Well, that's an interesting one, isn't it? I just wrote eek in my notes. That means even when there's a need and life is busy, the Lord's telling us to stop what you're doing and spend time with him. And so the Bible says that Moses remained there on the mountain with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights, and he ate no bread and no water. And the Lord wrote the terms of the covenant, the Ten Commandments, on the stone tablets. All right. I'm bringing this home. In verse 29, it says, everybody, let's say this together. When Moses came down Mount Sinai, the Bible says when you come down, right? You know, the, the world calls it a come down, right? You get high, and then you have the come down. It's a, it's a copycat of the presence of God, right? Who can testify, right? who's post the old world in the new world, right? Rick calls it BC, before Christ, which is really, really funny. A, per, a person, a saved person today that is in the Lord, right? When we talk about the old world, that's BC. And so it's a copycat of what we're supposed to walk in with the Lord and the Bible says we go up into his presence, we spend time in his presence, we let him work in us, and then we come down, and we could see Jesus did the same thing, right? Right, Jimmy? He went with Drew, right? He was always going with Drew up to the mountain, Jesus with Drew. Always going up and praying together up in the mountain. <laughs> but he would go up there, he would spend time with the Father, and then he would come back down to reality, the problem is, if we don't spend time with him, we're going to be influenced by this world. Simultaneously, the problem is, if all we ever do is spend time in his presence and we never come back down to reality, there's a people that are desperate for what we have. And that's when I saw this in Colossians. I said, wow, this is the whole picture that I've been trying to talk about for six weeks, is that, Lord, you're doing both things at once. I'm getting into your presence. You're changing me. That's for me, and that's amazing. But the fruit that I'm producing because of it automatically is for the world. And the Bible says that when he came down carrying the stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, he wasn't even aware that his face had become radiant because he had spoken to the Lord. Wow. Sometimes we're like, man, what is it? What do I have to do to break through into, into this person's life? How do I get through to them? How can I get them to know the Lord? And you know what? We need to push time aside. You need to take time 
put it on a shelf over here because that's just the devil messing with your head. Because that's not God, right? God took 40 years to deal with Moses before he called him, right? He literally had 40 years after he murders the guy and runs away before the Lord calls him into ministry. So you need to take time and put it on a shelf. All right, so now that we've done that, you ready? All that you need to do is spend time with the Lord, spend time in his word, and actually let it work in you. And what will happen automatically is you cannot help but have a radiating of his presence. And you don't worry if they're mocking you and accusing you because the Bible says, and I just gave you two examples, they cannot help but see your boldness, and that you've been with the Lord. At that point, it is their decision on their own, but you have done everything you can do. Any other gimmick or trying to reach them is just flesh. All that we need to do is let them see Christ. Amen. Amen. I hope this blessed you. Lord, we thank you for this word. I just pray you'd seal it down into our heart, Lord God. Plant it down deep within us, Lord, like a good seed and good ground. And Lord, let this word bring life in our own lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Happy Fourth of July, everyone.